0: I didn't ask Karen to pick out a psalm this morning, so thinking that maybe she would pick one anyway, but she didn't, so um, how about we go with Psalm 23 this morning, Psalm 23, there is a method to my madness, but mostly it's just mad, Psalm 23, whoever gets there first can read out, or you can... Recite it from memory. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not
1: want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake.
0: What's that psalm about? Anybody want to venture a guess? Daniel. It's about being a sheep and being grateful to the shepherd for his discipline and his guidance. Yep, we are sheep. Uh, dirty and dumb. Right? And there is, it is about um, submission to the shepherd. In that we need guidance, and we need to be provided for, and we need to be corrected when we're out of line, right? Yeah. But the sheep like to like to lead themselves, which is what this is about. I, I got this as a birthday card yesterday,
1: and I had to I had to share it. Well, happy
0: birthday! <laughs> uh, my birthday wasn't yesterday. My birthday's coming up, but it was an early birthday card. Uh, actually, next Saturday is my birthday. But I just thought, this is just classic, you know. You've got the, the story of the loaves and the fishes, and that's a story of God's provision. Remember when we were looking at John chapter 6, and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am that which um, nourishes and provides for you. And talking about a communion with God. And here, Jesus is, you know, feeding, providing <coughs> for the people, and, and like, like good sheep, we say, I can't eat that. I'm a vegan. You know, <laughs> we want it our way, <clears throat> which is what you know we said to the Burger King. Anyway. Looking at Husky there. pardon? looking at Husky there. Yeah, I, that's another reason why I like this this picture. <laughs> <laughs> Huskiness is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are in John this morning, and uh, we are coming up. On chapter 10, which is about uh, the shepherd and the sheep. And uh, what's John about? Who can tell me what John is about? So if somebody walks up beyond the street, it's cash cab, and they say, Name one of the four gospels, and uh, they're doing a street shout out, and you say, Well, John? Uh, and they say,
1: What's John about? How would you answer? was written so that uh, the readers may know that Christ is the Lord and that in knowing that we may believe in him and in believing in him may have eternal life um, and 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 then we're providing
0: Yep, it should it should, all of um, as we uh, understand and appropriate the revelation of God, it should impact us There, there, there should be a um, a response in our life, which would be abiding. So, we understand that John, in in uh, his theme, which he states in twenty thirty one, where he says in twenty thirty, says many other uh, signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these specific ones have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in His name. So, what John is writing about, he's trying to help us understand. The revelation of God, and revelation of God starts with the disclosure of Himself to Adam and Eve, and it ends with the disclosure of Himself as the Light of the City, as the Christ, the Lord, and uh, and that city is is heaven. That's God's home. He invites us into His home, and so that whole of revelation um, is what God wants us to understand. And because we're really thick-headed sheep. He came to us personally. It wasn't just something that God could say, okay, this is, uh, this is who I am. This is the master plan. Um, I want you to respond. Sheep don't do that. They need, actually, the shepherd to be with them. They actually need to hear the shepherd's voice. And so that's what, what John, he's trying to reveal who the shepherd is. He's trying to help us know that that shepherd, God actually is present with us in the man, Jesus. And that um, he's fully God. He's the son of God. (laughs) But he's fully man. He's fully Jesus. That he had the same um, need for care that we have in the sense that he hungered, he thirsted, he needed to rest. Um, He had to face... Uh, all of the kinds of things that we would face that are just terrifying for us—rejection. What do you suppose is the the number one fear that people have? Dying. I I would think dying, but I was actually surprised. It's not dying. Fear the unknown. Fear rejection. Get close. Um, Being alone. <laughs> public speaking. Now, it may have been a biased survey, but, you know, because I certainly think that life and death is more important than public speaking. But the, the whole point of public speaking is it reveals all of those fears, that fear of uh, the unknown, the fear of being alone, the fear of being exposed.
2: Uh, so we're talking about fear mm-hmm. and my wife and I have been talking about that this week and what we're kind of coming up with is that fear is in a way a form of servitude or even worship. So we're supposed to fear God but if we fear other things, man, they kind of take over they become our I don't know, our focus. And so just like Psalm 23, we need to
0: that away you know right
2: and, um, and just fear the Lord and, sort of, you
0: know. and, and I think fear serves a purpose in that it brings us into a relationship with the creator it certainly can it can help us be in a place of reverence and awe right fear the Lord is the We're beginning of wisdom about
2: money or
0: health or relationships or right power that we're a little bit off track. Right, and, and that what, is, what is that fear about? That fear is, is legitimate, right? Um, one of the one of the things that I'm going through, I mentioned my birthday's coming up, and as you get older, you reflect on things uh, that people reflect on in this life, like uh, what am I going to do about health care? Right? The reason I'm still working is because I need health care, not because I want to go through traffic for three hours a day and and, uh, being right down in the core of the city where the ugliest stuff happens. No, that's not my desire. Uh, My desire is to be home and comfortable and warm and well-fed and well-cared for, right? So I have this fear that I won't be home and well-fed and comfortable and I won't have health care. So I. No, serious, you know, these are things that, so fear is telling me I need to be provided for, I need to be taken care of where is our confidence is it in, in my case blue cross blue shield is that my confidence i just heard that they in the appropriations bill that hopefully got signed today so that the government is still funded um
2: that, last night.
0: is it tonight yeah. yeah so right now we're out of money uh, no, but, it was
2: last night
0: she said it Oh, it got signed last night? Okay. okay. I mean, so okay. So we didn't run out of money.
2: <laughs>
0: that was a great fear, right? <laughs> a, uh, but in that bill was you know, a set aside, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, so that they didn't actually have to operate fairly in, uh, according to the law. And that kind of irked me, right? But that's, my confidence isn't in that. My confidence is in the Lord. And I was actually sharing this with Karen last night. Um, going through another cycle of changes in my life, not just aging, but wondering about work and wondering about, you know, what is what do I really want to do when I grow up? It's not so much that. It's what does the Lord want to do with me if I can grow up? Uh, and so, you know, sharing those things, I, I need to know that my confidence is in one who truly can guide me and lead me and provide for me and protect me. I need to know that the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want, right? So that it's really important to, to understand what John's trying to reveal to us through the ministry of Jesus to his people, because we understand that where we're at right now um, is we're in the public ministry of what uh, Jesus is doing among his people. So I gave you an outline I know I show you this every week, so you guys have got this memorized. But we're basically in the, sometimes people call it the Book of Signs. It's all about understanding who he is. And that the way he chose to do that was through challenging uh, institutions and um, practices, religion, that we do, in order to, uh, the purpose of it is to draw near to God. To actually understand who he is, to know him. And believe him. In other words, we put our trust in him. That he is truly our confidence. He is truly our shepherd. And that in doing that, we respond differently. We abide with him. We dwell with him. And that Jesus wanted to make sure that that which was originally intended for one thing actually served that purpose. So he challenged the purpose in this. And there were people that were in opposition to that. There were the religious leaders of the day who... who. Uh, basically built their own kingdoms they were their own kings and we you know we read through the psalms look at psalm 2 you find out what happens to the kings of the world Um, they can't challenge the king of heaven because god laughs at them right so jesus in a very kind and compassionate way he is loving kindness is what is displayed towards us um, is trying to challenge these various ministries and we saw that as he or or religious practices we saw as he went through and he challenged the sabbath and that he healed a man on the sabbath and then he uh, challenged the festival of the passover showing what the passover was really all about he challenged the uh, festival of tabernacles the understanding of coming into god's provision right and showed who he really is in that whole process of the especially the fall religious festivals which to me are just amazing you have it starts out with the heralding of messiah the day of trumpeting rosh hashanah and that it's announcing the entrance of the king and then it's followed by days of reflection the days of awe where people reflect on their sin and their inability to draw near to god our reliance upon his loving kindness towards him and then it's followed at the end of that by what is the great day of atonement Yom Kippur that's what that means, day of atonement and that that's where God provides a covering for us and actually makes a way that we can come into his presence and then what happens after we enter into God's presence is, is there's a hoedown right? seriously, there's vittles, there's music there's dancing it's the festival of tabernacles it's a, a time of celebration. And that, and that has all been reflected. And we, we're going to see as we move into chapter 10 that this even went into, all of these religious practices, even went to the lesser of the uh, festivals, uh, Hanukkah, which is coming up this time of year. Does anybody know the story of Hanukkah? What's the story of Hanukkah? Isn't
1: that from Boyle? Yeah. Boyle did run out. I can't remember the...
0: Yeah, so it has to do with the Maccabean revolt and what happened was is that uh, the, uh, the Hebrew peoples, because of their disobedience or idolatry, ended up being uh, taken into captivity and the nation was destroyed. So they had a time of the kings where the kings came and, and David is the prototype king of the good king, the righteous king. And yet we look at the life of David and say, wow, where's the righteousness there? You know? um, and, and, but we understand that it's a type of what Messiah is to look like. What the righteous king, when he comes to his kingdom, will, will look like. That he will provide and protect and to serve his people. And we understand that from both the Old Testament leading up through the Revelation. Well, they had a time of kings. They only had eight good kings. Out of all of the the southern territory of Judea, only eight good ones. In the northern territory, they didn't have any. Not a single good king. So God brought judgment on that. He brought judgment on the kingdom of the world. He brought it in a microcosm first to his people, but ultimately he's going to bring that judgment upon the whole of the kingdom of the world. And the prince of this world is going to be judged. We understand that. We read the, the end. We read it last uh, was it last week we did revelation in the uh, in main service right? so we get to read uh, the end of the story from where we're at we're not at the beginning we're in process we get to know what goes on and so at the, at the end of that time of the kings of the Jews God brought judgment on them and they went into captivity and they remain in captivity to this day they were in captivity to the Babylonians they were in captivity to the Persians They were in captivity to the Greeks, they were in captivity to the Romans. Well, Hanukkah is about while they were in captivity, how they would uh, keep themselves. Would they keep themselves pure? Would they keep themselves enlightened with the true light of the world? Which you these are words that you should have gotten as we move through John. About that Jesus said. Not only do you say he's the bread and that he's the source of the living water, but he's also the light of the world. He is that which illumines humanity. He is that which, which dispels the darkness. Darkness can have no hold on it, right? So what Hanukkah is about is that underneath the Greek uh, rule of the people, they were being oppressed. In fact, they were being oppressed so badly and they had some such corrupt leadership that they defiled the temple. A temple to foreign gods was set up where uh, the temple of Solomon was, and the uh, they made sport of the Jewish religious practice. They sacrificed a pig on the the Jewish altar, and while this was happening, there were those that were zealous for the for the practice of the Hebrew peoples that understood the revelation of God and what God said that he would do for his people. So they rebelled, and they actually retook the temple. They um, overthrew the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and they reclaimed the temple, and when they reclaimed the temple, this was like a a band of, of brothers. They didn't have a lot of resources in order to accomplish their goal, but they had the king of heaven behind them. And they retook the temple and they re, uh, restored purity in that temple. And it's part of that that means that they put out uh, the show bread, they put out um, the different uh, things that they would have within the temple, part of that being the, the uh, lampstand. But they didn't have enough oil for that lampstand to burn continuously, which is what it did. In the, in the previous temple, that lamp would burn twenty four seven, and there was a priest's job to come in and make sure that that light was always lit. Now, this is to remind us of who the light of the world is, right? And you actually saw some of that in the Festival of Tabernacles, where they would actually have these huge candelabras that they would set up, and it would light up the whole city, right? Well, in at the time that we now call Hanukkah, the the De- Feast of Dedication, um, it was when they actually had to run down to the coast and go through and press the olive oil and purify it for seven days and then run it back up to Jerusalem. So they had to go to the place where the olive presses were. The olive presses, uh, I can show you the the land here just so that you'll have kind of a picture of what I'm talking about. So here is Israel. We're going to zoom in a little bit. And uh, so here, what you see, and I hope that's in focus, I don't have my glasses on, it's pretty close. So right in here you have the Mount of Olives, and you have Jerusalem, Bethlehem's down here. This is the hill country, right? So the olive oil doesn't come from here. They actually had to go down through, um, actually it came down through here, this, uh, this river valley. And this is called the Shpelah. It's like the foothills. That's where the olive presses were. That's where they would harvest the olives, they'd bring them to these <coughs> presses, had to make stones, and they would crush the olives, and they'd uh, get the different pressings of oil. And, uh, so they had to come down here, get that olive oil, and then it had to be purified for seven days. And then they ran it all the way back up to the temple. And it took eight days for that to accomplish, be accomplished, right? They had enough oil for one day. But that lamp burned for eight days until they could rededicate the temple fully by restoring the oil flowing in the lampstand, which is in the temple. That's what Hanukkah is about, right? So when we look at what Jesus was trying to to help the Jewish people understand is that what their religious practice was all about was about how we draw near to him. He's already drawn near to us. He is already the bread that we need to consume fully, right? He is already the source of living water that springs up as, as a, a eternal life within us. It is actually his life. This is how we draw near. And so what we see happening right now as we move through the public ministry of Jesus from the disclosure of who he is as the son of God And the Son of Man, and that's a specific title that you find in Daniel 7.13, talking about the king to whom is given dominion over all the nations of the earth. That is called the Son of Man. Um, As that revelation has been made, then there comes a decision time. Will you choose him? And chapter 9 is the call to decision. And chapter 10 is the call to decision. What do you believe about the Christ? Who is this man? And we read through chapter 9 last week, and I'm going to read through it again, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. What I, I, we're only going to have about 20 minutes, um, and then we're going to have um, missionaries come in and take the last 15 minutes of the class. So I won't be able to go over this morning like I know I'm going to do. But there are some specific questions that people are going to ask and we're going to hopefully hit a couple of the really big ones uh, before we move on to chapter 10 so as I see, and this is chapter 9 of John says as he passed by he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him Rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born blind and Jesus answered it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents but so that the works of God might be displayed in him we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated Sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying... This is he. Still others were saying, Nah, but he's like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees a man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath. On the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they uh, said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? And he said, Well, he's a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know. Who opened his eyes we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you, not, uh, do you not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear from sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us, so they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have both seen him, and he is the one talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains lots of questions in there the first question which I you've probably already forgotten because I read all the way through the verses is at the very beginning the question is who sinned this man or his parents
1: neither
0: right so it's questioning the very fundamental nature of sin and how it's communicated throughout humanity. We understand that Adam and Eve sinned. We read about it, right? And we can say, yep, there's no question they disobeyed the command of God. Therefore they sinned. Sin entered in. But I didn't disobey the command of God. Did I? Right? So we we understand that there is a communication of sin. And that that communication of sin can be um, whether people recognize the sin in their life or not. So we read that in Exodus uh, chapter 20. Take you to Exodus chapter 20. This is as the Hebrew peoples have been led out of Egypt uh, through miraculous works. uh, Much better than the movie. uh, Which came out this week and has a lot of untruth in it. But. The truth is, God led these people out, and he wasn't a little boy, and that he led them out through mighty works, he delivered them from bondage, and he brought them to the mountain of God, where they were to commune with him, that they were actually to have that intimate relationship. When they get there, um, we read, uh, this is where you, you find the Ten Commandments, Um in chapter 20 the second commandment is one about idolatry you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth you shall not worship them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me so that's a really really strong statement about one the nature of sin, and two, the judgment of God. And I would say that rather than prescriptive saying don't sin, this is about uh, judgment of sin and how it has no place in God's kingdom and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a statement about the, the condition of humanity. It's not a challenge to be righteous. It's a statement about our unrighteousness. Right? So when they're asking who sinned, this man or his parents, they're misunderstanding Exodus chapter 20. They're misunderstanding the declaration of God about the state of humanity as a result of sin. That we are totally depraved, that we have no, no righteousness in us. That's not that we can't do good things from time to time but the natural state of man is one of being fallen and separated from God not that that's what God wanted from the beginning but that that's where we're at and that these people were denying that that's where they're at so they were making an assumption if this guy is blind if he's suffering from the curse therefore he must have sinned or it's a multi-generational curse that that curse is is going down through his family line. That's not what this is about. And Jesus immediately redirects it. He says, it was neither this man that sinned nor his parents. Now, did the man sin? Yes. Did his parents sin? Yes. But he's saying, it's not about um, the cause and effect relationship of sin and judgment. But rather, this is about the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? What is the purpose of God? Sure, to reveal himself, his, his nature, and his essence to us, his character, his heart of loving kindness, his compassionate and merciful, uh, and not separating himself from judgment, righteousness, and holiness. Right? When we look, go back to Exodus, when we look at chapter 32, and God declares himself to Moses, and I probably read this last week, but I'll read it again. It's one of those things worthy of repeating. As we get to Exodus um, 32, the golden calf story, and 34, uh, verse 6, when uh, Moses has gone to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments anew and uh, we read in chapter 34 verse 6 of Exodus says then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord God so he gives the announcement of his name Yahweh and a description of that that he is the self-existent one the Lord God compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth that's who God is he wants us to understand his nature who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So we understand that mercy and grace and judgment are all tied up together. You can't separate that. You can't separate the holiness of God and the justice of God from his compassion and his mercy. Mm -hmm. And so his purpose in being a compassionate and merciful God is to redeem that which was lost, to actually come to humanity on a mission, on a rescue mission, right? So we've been kidnapped in a way. We were deceived, and we went astray. But the result of our, our um, falling into sin, making ourselves God in place of the true God, is that we have the this judgment that comes with that death penalty upon us but the purpose of God is to redeem us to restore relationship and we understand that because I'm not just making that from this verse here I'm making that from the whole story of the Bible the whole story of the Bible is about who God is and what he's about doing in relationship to us. And so Jesus says, let's refocus this, refocus this. This isn't about sin, cause, and effect. We understand judgment. You know, he came into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. We read that in John chapter 3, right after John 3:16. Right? Everybody knows John 3.16. Do we keep reading as we get to John 3:16? It says this. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So there's a statement, a declaration about how humanity is and how we respond if we want to make ourselves the king. But what God is about doing is He's about redeeming. He's about saving. Daniel. Uh, in chapter nine verse 39 it says, For judgment I came into this world, that those
1: who do not see may see, and those who see may not see, but isn't that kind of contrary to
0: you come into the world. That's the challenge. So Jesus, let's let's read, and because this, these two are tied together. So you you've hit upon uh, the challenge of judgment and mercy and grace right how can you have justice true justice and mercy and grace present concurrently right because in that sense Jesus coming and fulfilling the law judges all of us we are judged in that sense he is the true judge he is the one that can declare rightly what is true because the truth is in him he is the way, the truth, and the life. Right. So, in that sense, He is fully the judge and can judge justly. Right. Yes. But in that, we are condemned. There is no chance that we could ever be holy or righteous, and that's demonstrated through His perfect, uh, perfectness in fulfilling the law. So, what He says is His purpose. Is that so the works of God might be displayed, that he needs to, um, that we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. And that work is to redeem. So Jesus is taking it from um, you're going to die because you're a sinner, and we need to understand that all are sinners. It isn't that this man is particularly a sinner or his parents are particularly sinners, we're all sinners but that the purpose of God is to redeem. The purpose of God is to bring life where there is no life. And so Jesus takes what should be one of those trick questions, who sinned? And it's a question we ask, did I sin? And the answer is, well, yeah. No one's without sin. The real question is, what's God going to do about it? And what he's going to do about it is he's going to send his son. The son comes to save. Even though in coming to save he also judges. The world is condemned because now the king has come and all fall short. Um, So, sometimes
2: people just touch Jesus' garment and wear healed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he spoke it, and they were healed. Yep. In this case, yeah, he, he actually spits in the ground, makes a little mud, puts it on a guy, and makes him go do something. Yep. I. go wash. So he wasn't even there when he received his sight.
0: Right. Um, Isn't that amazing? God, God doesn't really actually have to manifest presence in order to be actively working in your life.
2: Anyway, I just thought maybe there was some lesson for us. Maybe, well, maybe and, not. And, that, and that's
0: like, okay, why did, that's another one of the questions in here. So one is what's this thing about sin? Mm-hmm. Who's sin? Another one is, why did Jesus make spit mud? <laughs> well, and, and
2: and this, this is this kind the, of thing. To, act. He to believe to go and do it.
0: Right. Because he's blind. That's he's blind. right. It required a decision. The man had to make a choice.
1: And didn't it also happen on the Sabbath?
0: Yes. And it happened on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus Jesus is he's, hes challenging all of our traditions. He's challenging all of our religious practice. How is grace communicated to you? Is it communicated through a wine and a wafer? Is it communicated to you through the religious practices that you keep? Is it communicated to you through the spittle of Christ? Do we need to preserve the Shroud of Turin? And um, you know all of these artifacts that people want to hang on to. It's like this is holy, it's magic, right? It can heal you. No. What healed the man? That's right. He was obedient, and he went to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So if you look at the Hebrew word, the root of that Hebrew word, Siloam and uh, I can bring you up a picture of where that pool is, we've done that, and it's associated with the Festival of Tabernacles, because that's where they draw the water from. The name itself means sent, which is another name for the Christ. So we see in here um, four declarations of the name of God. We see uh, a prophet. We see... uh, um, I should have wrote them all down. <laughs> Pardon? I am
1: also... Pardon? Uh,
0: you have the I am. You have uh, the son of man. Uh, you have the light of the world. So you see these different names of the Christ. And what was happening was the man was having to make a decision about what had been revealed to him through a name of Christ. Now what is in the name? the name is not so much a mantra that people will repeat. Um, And so I look at other religious practices in the the world and uh, they'll repeat the name of God over and over and over and over again as if just by saying it, it has power. What the name is is it's the person. When it says in the third commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, that's the way we would say it, right? That's the King James Version. Um, what that is about, is about emptying God of the person that he is. If you empty God of who he is, something's going to fill that vacuum, that God vacuum. Guess who fills that God vacuum? You do. By emptying God of his person, you are becoming God. You're making him less valuable, less um, complete than you are. And so that's what that declaration of of God's um, holiness is about. It's about who he is. And so this being a name of God being sent, the man is asked to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing he will have life in His name, that's what that means. So the man is actually asked to make a decision. That's what this chapter is about. Which is whether or not to obey. What's Which is whether or not to um, yeah, believe, to, to believe and obey, trust and obey. Right. There's no other way. That's right. This is this is a good point to actually. Um, go ahead and wrap this up because we have um, some folks that are going to speak to us this morning in the, the time we have remaining um, let me go ahead and just close this out with prayer real quick and then Pastor Bob could you make an introduction? Great. Lord we thank you so much for opportunity to dig into your word uh, it's just so rich uh, challenging us about um, sin and who we are and challenging us about righteousness and holiness and who you are Lord, that you love us so much that you would come and make a way for us to be in communion with you, to draw near to you, and be in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for your uh, provision for us, your protection of us, and your incredible uh, life of service that you laid down for us, that we might be together with you. Lord, we thank you for all of this, and we ask your blessing on this time. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: It's my privilege to introduce some good friends of Julie and I's to you this morning. These, we, we served with these folks in Swaziland and also in South Africa with Transworld Radio. In fact, they were, they, were, uh, they just came from, from South Africa and will be going back for a couple more months before they move to uh, Europe or someplace else, but I'll let, him, I'll let John and Carol talk about that. John and Carol Ragsdale, served with Transworld Radio. Uh, John has been in charge of program ministry development in in Africa. Uh, he's been on the I don't know what. If, he, John's always kind of a low key; doesn't talk about himself a lot. Guy, pretty humble. So I don't know how much of this he will say. But I saw him as the the front line, cutting edge. He was the guy that was helping not only our mission but other missions in Africa uh, uh, get on the bus, dealing with cultures that were non-literal cultures that were orally based. And think about that, a a culture that's orally based, rather than used to reading things, even listens to radio differently. And John helped our our mission uh, catch on to that. He was instrumental in developing programs, especially toward unreached people groups with a Muslim background in Africa. And so out of that, Transl Radio is most recently why they're not staying uh, in, in Africa longer, is they've asked him to be the international director for all of Transl Radio's ministry in the Middle East, North Africa, Caucasus, and Central Asia. So take the 1040 window, take the hardest places in missions today, and they've just given that to John Carroll. <laughs> so um, that's a real challenge that's before them, but would you come up now and uh, share with us? Just so he's going to have a few minutes here in the class. Feel free to ask questions as well, and uh, he's going to have a few minutes. He and Carol have a few minutes in our service this morning as well. They're they're home on a very short furlough, and it's that time of year where it's not a lot of mission spots in churches in the last couple of Sundays in December. But we're going to squeeze them in. Anyways. Thank you, Bob.
3: Thank you for uh, allowing us the time to just come and, and fellowship with you, and. Uh, I come from the northwest in some sort of way. I was born in West Africa. Um, my parents were missionaries there with World Venture, back in the days when it was called Conservative Baptist Foreign Mission Society. <laughs> but uh, some of you might remember that. Um, but I was born in Cote d'Ivoire and raised there. But our furlough home was always Hillsboro, Oregon. So we always came back to Hillsboro uh, every four years to to spend a year visiting churches. So this. Is, This part of the world is very familiar to us, and Carol and I, my wife Carol, she and I came out to Oregon in 94, and we did uh, youth ministry in in Hillsborough First Baptist Church for about two years, and then joined Transil Radio, and went overseas to Africa, because the Lord just really laid upon our hearts in college, even in high school when we were in Africa, the need to be in ministry. Uh, specifically in Africa, we felt a real call from the Lord to ministry, and especially among Muslim people. Many of my friends growing up when I was a missionary kid were Muslims. I played soccer with them. They were the guys I hung out with. We had a lot of a lot of debates and little arguments about, about Jesus and about the crucifixion, a lot of those kind of issues that are, are contentious issues between uh, Christianity and Islam. And so having that growing up, but then going into college, learning a little bit about the 1040 window and the Muslim world. Just really, the Lord was just triggering things in my life, and and really leading us in the direction of Muslim ministry. And so we felt a very distinct call with TWR, Transiled Radio to to go back to Africa and be involved in full-time ministry among Muslims. And so from 98, when we arrived in South Africa, um, we were heading up the Muslim ministry in Africa for about 12 years and uh, very much involved in the Muslim ministry work in South Africa, but throughout Africa as well. Back in 2005, we started to get involved as a ministry in exploring the, the peoples in our, our world that are oral learners, people who will may, maybe never learn to read and write. But have an amazing ability to remember things, and remember detail, and we began to realize, as along with several other ministry organizations, that in order to begin to really reach these people, we had to come at, at their understanding of how communication takes place and how how they can begin to unpack information and retain it and understand it. Because we we in our gospel presentations and the way we preach many times it's, it's very literal and it's very linear in the way in which we talk to a person we have point 1 and point A and point 2 and point A and B and C we have very linear thinking and we, that's the way we've learned since we've gone through school and through, through university that's the way we learn to think oral learners think very concretely And so they need to be able to take concrete things and make sense out of that. And that means we've got to find ways of sharing the Word of God, which is so valuable to them. Share it with them in a way that they can understand it and remember it and share it with others. Because they may never have the opportunity in their lifetime to read the written Word of God. And so SIL, Wycliffe, and um, Campus Crusade, Transworld Radio and another number of other ministries have joined together in partnership to develop programs that have the oral learner in mind. People who are oral learners. And, and so for, for a number of years I was involved in, in producing radio programs, involved with local believers, in producing radio programs for Muslim audiences, but for those that are, are really from an oral culture. And, and so we've had tremendous success in, in places in Africa where, where people have now been able to hear the word of God in small bites and understand it and be able to tell those stories back. long time ago, well not a long time ago, In 2009 I was in northern Nigeria, very troubled region right now, very difficult to get to um, because of the terrorist activity in the north but in 2009 I was able to travel to a village and we shared I sat down with some story crafters and I didn't speak the local language but I was able to share a story in English and the story crafter then was able to from an oral background, he understood English he was able to take that story that I shared I shared the story of the, the boy with the five loaves and two fishes and I shared that story, and he was able to recount that story, word for word, just hearing it once, as I shared it orally with him. And then he shared that story with the village leaders. There were a number of leaders, and the village chief was there, all Muslim, and from the Kanuri tribe. And we sat there, and he shared that with, that with them. And they began sharing that story with one another. What do you think happens when they begin to share that story? You would think maybe, maybe in the chain of communication details would be left out. But no details were left out. Because what happened then was another story crafter who was not in that session came in to the group. And they recounted the story to him. And then he shared the story back with us in English. And it was word for word what we had shared So he had come in from an outside environment into that group, not knowing what the story was going to be and recounted that story for us. But you know what happens even more importantly is that when when the word of God is shared in that way and people people begin to recount it, they begin thinking about those stories. And the word of God begins to take a seed in the person's heart. And I really believe that even in that village they are probably telling those stories because there's a number of stories that are now being shared in that village and in that region that have been crafted by these men and and shared in, and they're producing an oral Bible because they know that in the lifetime of many of these people, they will never have a written Bible in the Kunuri language that they can understand because they can't read anyways. But now they have an oral Bible just A selected number of stories from the Old Testament right through to the early church. About 35 of them. And they're able to get a picture, a panorama, a snapshot of the redemptive plan of God for the salvation of us. And so it's it's tremendous to be a part of this kind of ministry. We're going to be doing this in the Middle East and North Africa. The ministry of TWR is already partnering with other ministries in North Africa, and the Middle East, and Central Asia. Because across that region, there are a huge amount of unreached people groups. Over 200 unreached people groups in North Africa. Over 280 unreached people groups in the Middle East and Central Asia alone. And so there's a huge amount of unreached people groups in that region. And most of those people come from an oral tradition. And so, though they can read and write in Arabic, it's not something that they read and write to be able to understand. It's simply for recitation, because it's part of the Islamic practice, is just to recite what they have learned, but not to fully understand it. And what we're trying to do now in, in these parts of the world is create stories that can be disseminated to those people on all kinds of media platforms, whether it be on cell phones, whether it be on little flash drives that we hand out to people, whether it be on through the internet, which is becoming more and more accessible to people, but also through our radio programs, and we have a tremendous amount of radio programs that are broadcast in the Middle East. Just Just this last two weeks ago, I was in our headquarters in North Carolina, and I was sitting with one of the people who kind of oversees the internet usage of our ministry. And there is a program that in, in the Middle East, in a, in a country that's very close to Iraq, I can't mention it, um, but where there's a lot of internet access, um, they received in that one month over 5,000 responses from people accessing that program and downloading that program not just part of the program but the full program over 5,000 downloads of that program and interactions with listeners in this one country in the Middle East to a program that's being broadcast there and so people are hungry people people are seeking and searching and especially in the Middle East right now with all the trouble that there is with the, the instability in Syria and the strife that is going on there, there's a tremendous opportunity for us as missionaries and, and ministries to be engaged in really be bringing the hope of, of Christ in, in and amongst the people who are who are really suffering, suffering so many displaced people in the Middle East because of the conflicts going on there. So we have a tremendous opportunity to share the word of God, to bring hope into the lives of people. So I'd ask you to pray for us. It's For us as a family, it's not going to be an easy step. I never envisioned myself going to a place like the Middle East or North Africa. We as a family will not be based there for security reasons. Um, we will be based somewhere in Europe. They, they haven't decided the location yet. We, we need to decide that with them. What is the most strategic place for us to be? us to be able to develop this ministry among the unreached people groups in the 1040 window, but we will be working in those areas and I would ask you to be praying for us, pray for protection, that the Lord would protect our family, pray for boldness, that we would not be that we wouldn't cower, that we wouldn't um, seek ways to to protect ourselves all the time That we would take those necessary risks that are part of sharing the gospel because there are so many believers in Christ in this part of the world that, that are suffering for their faith. And uh, so pray with us. And pray, pray for us as well in these coming weeks. We're, we're sharing this message with a number of people, supporters, friends, churches. We're just sharing what the Lord is doing. He's leading us away from Africa now into this ministry in the Middle East and Central Asia and North Africa and the Caucasus. And we really need the Lord's protection. We need His leading, His guidance. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And more than anything else, we need to be in the Word. We need to be grounded in the Word. And for me, that is a real challenge. And I ask you to just be praying that God would keep me grounded in the Word. Because that's where our strength comes from, is God's Word. And uh, Carol does have, this is my wife Carol, by the way, and... uh, we, we do have on our table out there some things, and she'll share with you what those are, and then we're going to just end it here because okay. over our time.
1: I was just going to say most of the things that I've been doing in South Africa is just being very involved in our home and our local church, um, just keeping things um, steady, going. The kids are in school, in a private school, and um, in our local church i have been involved in mentoring and discipleship with younger women. Particularly last year I was mentoring someone into the role to take over the Sunday school classes of the children. So it's been a good thing and we'll miss a lot of those relationships when we move. There's a giving there's a giving plan on our table out there if anybody's interested. There's a prayer card in the other building, yeah. And then there's ways that you could serve if you had an interest in serving with Trans World Radio. They need engineers, they need media people. Computer people. Computer people, yeah. So take a look at the table and see if you have an interest in those things.
3: Okay, thank you very much. And one one last thing I'd ask you to pray for that I forgot to mention. Pray for our children. Um, We're moving from South Africa where they were born and raised. It's the only home they know. And by moving to Europe or the
1: Middle East, wherever it is we're going to be based means we're taking them from this
3: place where they live they're in high school and junior high Mark is 15, almost 15 and my daughter just turned 12 the other day so uh, be praying for them because this is a difficult move for them mm-hmm. but uh, I was really pleased when we first shared this with my family and we said to our kids, you know what do you think about this idea of us going to a new area of the world to do ministry and um, John Martin said you know if this is what the Lord wants then I guess we better do it (laughs) and uh, to me that speaks volumes of obedience uh, so we praying for them it's a big adjustment Dave would you come and just lead us in prayer for could, could I ask him to do that instead? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> just,
2: just because I know. I know it's near and dear <laughs> <laughs> to Tim's <heart>. Okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> But I was born in West Africa, too. <laughs> and so I <laughs> feel for <pretty> a <laughs> little bit of what you said. So okay. it's a here. It's really that
1: Heavenly Father. We just pray for the
2: Ragsdales, Lord. And, uh, Lord, the whole 1040 window and the Muslim world has been on the heart of this church. And I pray that you would uh, rise up leaders to go into that area, use the media that's available to win souls for you. Lord, I pray for uh, uh, the whole family, the kids, especially as this move is coming up. Lord, we pray that you would coordinate all the details, that you would take care of all the particulars, and Lord, that you would bless, lead, and guide.